Hello, NAFI members and flight instructors. This is John Niehaus, NAFI's Director of Program Development. And I am pleased to welcome you to this episode of the More Right Rudder podcast, the podcast for the flight instructor on the go. And uh, I'm kind of excited about this episode uh, because we were able to go into the NAFI archives and select uh, content that I thought would be fitting for things that we've been talking about lately and uh, um, what I was able to find was a presentation from Mentor Live from a little while ago and if you're not familiar with what Mentor Live is it is our uh, monthly live webinar as the name would suggest and uh, it happens on the third Wednesday of every month at 8 p.m. Eastern time we're still doing them so uh, we've got another one coming up next month and uh, the cool thing is, is that the format allows for you to actually ask questions directly to the presenter um, during the presentation. So if you've got thoughts or questions or comments, you can make those comments and the presenter will actually answer them right there. So it's, it's kind of a really cool and unique format. But anyways, so what I found was a uh, presentation by a NAFI member by the name of Ned Parks. Uh, and the presentation is called Eight Magic Tricks That Can Kill a Flight School Business. Now, the cool thing is, is that Ned does this for a living. He uh, not just has a background in aviation. He's an ATP, a helicopter pilot, a helicopter instructor. Um, and uh, he also attended University of Akron and Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. He was in the Army as a U.S. Army helicopter pilot. And he also does uh, a consulting or owns a consulting firm to... Um, help other businesses grow and, and make good decisions and, and realign with their priorities. And, and so he's kind of an expert in making sure that uh, companies do well. And so it's a really good presentation. And, and one of the things that we found with flight instructors is that uh, we all tend to get ourselves tied up on the fun part. We all love getting into airplanes. We all love sharing our passion for, for teaching with our students. And sometimes... Uh, the entrepreneur side of us um, takes kind of a backseat to it all. So what we found is is that some of the most successful instructors um, can also be some of the uh, more struggling business owners. And that's something we're hoping to change as an organization. We want to educate our membership with with ways to, to make that side of, of the house a little bit cleaner, a little bit easier to run. Um, you'll also find that we have these types of courses involved in the professional development program. There's a, a business category, um, and uh, it's just a, a great way to make a well-rounded instructor and, and help instructors become just that much more successful. So if it works, great. And so anyways, I would love to uh, welcome you to listen to Ned Parks and Eight Magic Tricks That Can Kill Flight School Businesses. start talking about culture, Ron, and I think that that is really the best way to, to kind of talk about it. We can certainly, you know, read and hear about the culture of an organization. And, and um, in fact, uh, organizational culture will come up in NTSB reports. Sometimes you'll see it that the, there was not a safety culture present or a culture to drive on. Or we hear the word thrown about a lot, and a lot of times we don't really understand what it is. So 
I've kind of come up with my own definition of it. And a culture is the unwritten rules and norms of a group of people. And, um, you know, it's interesting. You think about um, uh, what are the unwritten rules and norms and, and how do I do that? And, and I try to think about it also in a different way. And that is, are we creating a culture of agreement or are we, or are we creating a culture of compliance? And when I think about the culture of agreement opposed to a culture of compliance, I think about it this way. If I were to walk out anywhere, and, and we'll say uh, when I had my FBO and I'd walk out into the shop floor, if one of my mechanics was wearing a, a pair of safety glasses while they were uh, maybe drilling out a rivet or, or whatever, and someone would have said to them, why do you wear your safety glasses? At least in my organization, they would have looked at them like they were nuts. They would have just been, well, this is just what we do here. We don't even think about it. Um, would it have been written down in my in my employee manual? Absolutely. So it's not like it's not written down. But the difference is when you ask the same question and someone says, I wear my safety glasses because if I don't, I'll get written up. And it's on page four, paragraph two, item three of the employee manual. That's more of a culture of compliance. And really what I want people to do is have a, you know, a real culture of, of agreement. We do it because it's the right thing to do. We wouldn't think of doing anything else. So is that then the way you would measure culture by agreement versus compliance? Certainly, yeah. It's certainly one way to measure it. There's there's a bunch of ways to measure culture. Um, and uh, in the next slide, I have a, a ton of different ways we can measure measure culture. And and they, they come through in a lot of different ways. We have values. What are the values of the organization? Um, where, how do we approach safety? Uh, do we talk about ethics and what things do we do ethically? Um, what kind of quality do we have? Um, you know, our customer service, um, the leadership, um, we, we measure them in, in trust and accountability. Um, we measure them in compassion towards our customers, our vendors, as well as our employees. Uh, one big way I like to, to measure it is employee turnover. Um, and then how quickly does the leadership respond? We kind of wrap all those things together. Is there a desire to improve? Uh, are we a true learning organization? Those sorts of things. And when we wrap them all together, we finally come up with the, the, the crown jewel, which I say is driving culture is not easy and is never ending, but it's something we have to do. And we measure it by all those different things. Um, and, and when we measure them, we say this is a great culture or this is not a great culture. And, and it's interesting to me, people can pick up on that. You know, it's um, I always like to put it to, to kind of the retail world, which a flight school in many ways is is a retail business. We have people that walk in off the street and they say, I'm interested in taking flight lessons. And what I always like to ask is, you know, when you walk into any business, whether it's a restaurant or a drugstore or your car repair place, what kind of feeling do you get? Uh, do you feel like you want to be there or do you go, man, I want to get out of this place. They're chaotic. They don't know what's going on. The place is a wreck. And, and that is... Uh, a measure of culture, it's not the only one. But yeah, it's, it's, it's never easy um, and, it's, and it's never ending. It's something we're doing continually all the time. Very good. I'll, go ahead. I noticed, Ned, I noticed, Ned that uh, you said uh, your culture that you're trying to engender uh, places emphasis on the customers as well as the employees. And that makes perfectly good sense because you need both in your business to be successful in flight instruction, don't you? You certainly do. I had uh, actually one of my consulting clients uh, taught me something. You always learn something from those people if you just listen that you you, you sometimes least expect it. And, and one of my customers said to me, a business is a three-legged stool. 
one leg is a customer, one leg is a vendor, and one leg is the employee, and you better treat them all equally or the school will fall over. And he treated his vendors as well as he treated his customers. And I'll tell you, you know, when he put, when he calls me, I jump jump through hoops to, to satisfy his needs. And, and I think that's really important, and, and we oftentimes forget that. We, we tend to go to war with our vendors. Uh, sometimes we resent our customers if they're a little demanding, and employees are this necessary evil. And we've got to just change that mindset, I think. It's, it's really really something we have to move to, to something different. Very good. And I see your your concluding statement there, driving culture is not easy and is never ending. It kind of builds into the, the next slide, I think, on customer service. Well, it sure does, you know, and I, I will tell you that I've heard, actually, I've heard people say to me, Ned, you know, this customer service thing is great or this safety thing is great, but safety costs me money. And when I have to do some drive, some FAA safety thing, you know, it's a stupid rule. And People, you know, lament about it and they they whine and so on and so forth. And they say, you know, that's going to cost me money. It's going to take away from my customer service. Or if I drive good customer service, the only way I can do that is not to be safe. And I say, absolutely wrong. One drives the other. And they both, if you increase one, you increase the other. So I've just made up this very quick little um, little slide here that says, you know, when when the relationship between customer service and safety is very complementary, when I drive up customer service, where I drive up safety, either one, I can drive up the other and they both have a positive impact. So to me, they're complementary. They're not something that you separate. Uh, they're not something that you toss aside. So so I came up with these, these eight different um, magic tricks that people do. They don't even know they're doing them. And so we'll start talking about some of those, Ron, and, and get to it. And, and my first uh, trick number one, and, and I've actually added to this a little bit. I have you'll see that I have trick one and then trick one A. So there's some corresponding other tricks that I put in since I first started putting this together, but um, ambivalence to the customer. So, uh, and all of these uh, different tricks, you'll notice I have a quote in there in bold. Um, so I had, had stepped away from aviation for quite a few years. And when I went to get back into it, having run several of my own schools and my own FBOs, I kind of know what I'm looking for. And so I would go into different places and I would go in unannounced. I didn't tell anybody my background. I would just have an opening line. Hi, how are you today? I'm, I'm interested in, in taking some flight lessons, which was an absolutely true step, statement. I was out of currency. I was going to have to take some flight lessons of some description. So <laughs> um, uh, these are all statements that have been said to me and, and they just made me shake my head. And, and, you know, I walked in with some nice clothes on and, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't look like I, I couldn't pay for it. And, you know, I tried to shave and take a bath and those sorts of things to, to be somebody you'd kind of like to have around. Gave them every effort, right, or every every chance. And, and so the first one I got, I walked into a place. I said, hi, right. guy standing there looking out the window, and he's watching an airplane. It was a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I said, hi, how are you? And he, he said, well, what do you need? I said, well, I'm interested in taking flight lessons. I just wondered what you can tell me how you kind of run it here. And he said, there's a brochure right over there. And he turned his back on me and looked back out the window. It was absolutely stunning to me. And, and, and what's really interesting is <laughs> this, this uh, particular airport's got a brand new, beautiful, F I mean, gorgeous, small F it's a small county airport, beautiful FBO. They have some nice looking airplanes and, and it's a nice little airport. And, it, and it's got a location that most people in the retail business would die for no matter what business you're in. And and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. I, I just, I just can't hand, I just, I just was stunned. So here's my, um, here's kind of the, the way to get rid of this trick, if you will. Um, uh, you know, you, you have to understand that um, 
uh, you've got to stand up and shake their hand and introduce yourself. This isn't hard to do. Uh, just stand up and say, hi, I'm Bob, I'm Ned, I'm Ron, I'm, I'm whomever. Uh, welcome to XYZ Flight School, glad you're here. Uh, what can I help you with? You know, yes, we get flight instruction here and I'd be, I'd be glad to help you. Um, part of what you're doing is you're showing interest in them. And, and I think that is absolutely essential. This isn't about you. It's not about your ratings. It's not about all the airplanes you've flown. It's really about, you know, showing interest in the customer and saying, who are you? What do you need? What would you want? In fact, I tell people, turn it into an interview. Um, stand there and talk to them and say, you know, where are you? What do you do? Uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, please, you know, I'm fascinated to know what, what brings you in here. And sometimes you'll get great stories. When I was running my flight school, we were located here in Akron next to the old Corsair hangar where they, uh, Goodyear built the Corsairs during World War II. Young fella came in. I said, so what, what, why do you want it? He goes, you know, my granddad was a test pilot. And uh, I sat and looked at his scrapbooks and everything. And, <clears throat> pardon me. And he said, I finally got around to where I can take flight lessons. I, I just want a solo. So I just want a solo. I said, okay, you know, we'll, 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 we'll do that. So I interviewed him and, and let him know um, what we were doing. And then, and then during the interview, after the interview, whatever, show them, and I say this as though it's already happened, the clean and well-organized classroom. Um, I, I, I went into another FBO and I said, so do you, do you have a classroom where I can sit with the instructor after a flight? And he said, well, sort of. He goes, it's back there. Didn't take me back there. He pointed back there somewhere. So I went down a hall that the lights weren't on and and I wandered in. And, and it was actually at one time, it could have been great. They had like five different little cubbies where an instructor could sit and he had little mini whiteboards. He actually could have done some really great instruction there. Every one of them was stacked full of boxes. You couldn't have sat down if you wanted to. It was really sad. And I was just like, what a golden opportunity to have that. So I will say absolutely well and organized classroom. And then, uh, you know, if you have a simulator, let them experience the simulator for 20 minutes. So, you know, we have a simulator here. In fact, why don't you sit down and just try it out? Let me walk you through a little takeoff and a landing. I give you a little sense of, of what it's like. Um, let, let them have let them let them have some opportunities to that, and then um, and then I say that's when we get to the details. The details of how many hours it takes and what flight training looks like and how much it costs. That should be the last thing you talk about, not the first thing you talk about. Make make the interest in them, make them feel welcome and important. At the end of the day, all human beings want to feel feel valued and appreciated. So. Show a little appreciation and value towards them. It's not, it's not all that hard. You know, it's interesting, Ron. Um, studies have shown that the number one reason customers leave any kind of a, a vendor is due to a, a perceived lack of indifference or ambivalence. Oh, really? Yes, that's the number one reason. These studies have been done over and over and over again. And it's one of the things I talk to my clients about all the time. What message are you sending if it's a message of indifference or a message of I don't care? Think about it. You go to a nice restaurant and they don't cook the steak right. If they say, oh, gee, I'm sorry, sir, and they take it back and they cook it right and you bring it back, are you happy? Absolutely. You're, and in fact, you'll go tell everybody. But if they go, well, it looks right to me or yeah, whatever, or it takes them forever to bring your steak back, you're like, well, they didn't seem to care that I wanted my steak a different way. So I don't care to go back and spend money with them. It, they might have cared, but they just didn't show it. So yeah, a lack of indifference is is kind so of that, enough. that all important first uh, encounter with the, with a potential client. Show interest in them. Uh, show them a, a nice clean place where they will be uh, getting their training. 
uh, let them experience a simulator if you've got it, and then eventually get to the details and uh, welcome them into the to the place. That's that's a, those are good good ideas, good points. Yeah, it, this isn't all that hard. It really isn't. Yeah, and then ambivalence so that you talk about in this slide does it ever uh, bridge over to safety? It does bridge over to safety. I think it bridges over to safety all the time. In fact, you know, um, I call it trick one A. Um, and, and, and this is <laughs> this is one I love it. Um, we don't have time to use a check. We don't have the time to use a checklist all the time. Just don't forget it on your check ride. Wow. Yeah, I actually heard a flight instructor say that to another student, um, and I just about fell off my chair. Um, and recently, within the past month, I bumped into one of our local DPEs, and he and I were just having a chat. And, and I, I said, you know, but what, what about checklist use on, on check rides? Do, you know, is it good, better, and different? And he started to laugh, and he said, well, he said, I, I had a student, and he was really fumbling around with his checklist, and like he'd never seen one before. He said he was just didn't really, wasn't too comfortable with it. And yet, you know, right where this is going. So, yeah. He asked him, he said, uh, so uh, is that a new checklist? He goes, well, he goes, my instructor said we don't have time to use it. And uh, so, you know, just make sure you use it on the check. See, he repeated it. He repeated it. And then he told the DP. And, and you know, I laughed. I said, out of the mouth of babes, right? The poor kid didn't know any better. So he tells the examiner for crying out loud. And, you know, he said, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you know, if you're going to if you're going to do that, at least tell a kid, don't repeat it. You know, don't repeat this to the examiner. They don't know any different. He's a young 18-year-old kid trying to get his private rating. And so, you know, it, it, the thing that's interesting about that is they take to heart what we tell them and they think it's all okay. And 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 we've got to remember that. I mean, we, re, I mean they, we really have to remember that, especially if they're young students. I mean, if they're older, they might see through that. But, but when they're younger, oh, my gosh, you know, it just... It just drives me a little crazy, and I always like to say, if if you don't care about safety, they're not going to say care about safety. It's just that it's just that, and because they, they don't know, you know, they don't know what's safe and what isn't. Um, flight students don't know what they don't know, so if they think that's normal, then they're going to do it. And you know, uh, drive the culture of agreement to safety. I go back to that slide I said earlier. You know, I want to I want a culture of agreement. So this is just what we do here. We pick up the checklist and we use it. And this is how we use the checklist and so on and so forth. I, I gave a, a, a flight review to a guy the other day I know quite well. And he said, we got an airplane. He goes, I know you're not going to like this. But he said, I, I use an electronic checklist. I said, I don't care what you use. I do something different. Are you using the checklist? Does it work for you? He said, yeah. And I go, that's fine. You know, I don't care. If it works for you, use it. I, I tend to do something different, but I'm not going to knock you for it. I'm glad you're using the checklist. Awesome. You know, that's that's what I want, what we should have here. And then, you know, ultimately, we've got to teach it and live it. Um, if we're going to teach you to use a checklist, I better be picking it up. I better have my own. I better uh, you, you somehow interact with you and that. And then um, let's go to the simulator for a minute, because I think this is a great conversation. And I and I actually I loved it. I was in, at Oshkosh in the Nappy booth and uh, Redbird was in and they were doing a um, a, a a, a seminar on using simulators and and I loved hearing this because I make my students do it in the simulator you know what they put the seat belt on and they use the checklist we don't bypass things it's about building repetition it's about hey just because we're simulating doesn't mean we can do it unsafe here let's just do it the right way go through the entire thing um, that's why we have a simulator so we can reinforce these things so let's reinforce them 
So you know, if you don't care, nobody else will. You know, and so I'm I'm pretty adamant about that. Good. It adds to the realism, doesn't it? It really does. It absolutely does. Yeah. If you don't care, they won't care. So let's go on to trick two. Um, and this one is assuming the goals of the student. Um, so here's a here's one. I actually heard it. I walked into another FBO. Hi. Um, same thing. Right. I, I'm interested in taking some some flight lessons. Of course, nobody knows who I am. And and the guy uh, starts talking to me. And uh, you know, five minutes into the conversation. He says, uh, you look a little old to be an airline pilot. Well, thank you for telling me I look a little old. Um, but, um, you know, guess what? I don't want to be an airline pilot, so that's the good news. I, I have no desire to do that. Great for those who do. It's not a criticism. But, but you're assuming what I'm wanting to try to accomplish here. And we hadn't even gotten to the part of, do you, you know, do you want to be a commercial pilot, a professional pilot, a CFI? What, what, what do you want to do? We hadn't, he didn't know anything about me. He was telling me all about their airplanes, and then and then halfway through this conversation, he said, "You look a little old to be an airline pilot." And I, I was like, I, I just couldn't believe my ears. I really couldn't. I said, "Oh my gosh, if my dad was still alive, he'd be pulling the front of his face off right now." You know, he just would have lost his mind. <laughs> so you know, um, it's really important that um, we uh, have to understand who we're there for. Um, and um, as I like to say, we're there for them, not the other way around. Uh, we are there to service them. We are there to teach them. We are there to guide them. We are there to have a good time with them and to have some laughs with them and build some friendships. I mean, all those things are part of it. And um, here's the other thing, and I, I preach this all the time. Don't take them to your goal. Take them to their goal. What is their goal? And you have to ask them that. And I think that's important. I'm working with a guy right now that's been out of flying for 22 years, I think he told me. And I asked him straight up. I, I said, you know, I flew with him. I I said, so what do you ultimately want? Why are you back? What do you want to do? You know, he said, well, he goes, I was really close to getting my instrument rating. And this guy's got about three or 400 hours of VFR time and when he was flying a lot. And so I'm just saying to him, you know, that just understand there's a whole lot of new stuff. He's never used a GPS. He keeps asking, where's the NDV? I mean, you know, he's, <laughs> he's got all the old stuff. And, I, and so we're just walking him and he understands it's, it's going to be at a pace that's safe. And I understand that hey, we'll, we're here to do what you want to do. If you want to get to the point where you stay at an uncontrolled airport and, and, and uh, go out and get a burger, I'll take you there. That's fine. You know, that's all part of general aviation. So I'm not trying to push this guy into anything that he doesn't want to do. Um, we really have to just stop and ask the student, what do you want to accomplish? What are you trying to accomplish? I've got another young kid, 21 years old. Ron, I'm sure you've had him. He got on the flight controls the first time out. And it was almost like he was sandbagging me. I go, okay, who else have you been? I asked him. I said, who else have you taken flight? This is, this is like the second time. I go, well, you're flying like you're at about hour 12 because you're really impressive. And he's picking stuff up super fast. He says, I just want to get my private rating. That's all I want to do. He's 20 years old. He could have, I have no doubt he could have a great career in aviation. You know what? Maybe he doesn't want that. And that's okay. If he finally gets there, I'll, I'll help him go there. But until then... Right now, all we're talking about is getting your private rating because that's all he wants to do, and that's fine. That's fine. Very good. Don't do you push them. Yeah, don't push them past anything they don't want to go past. Um, we're there for the student and what they want, which also then takes us to trick 2A, <laughs> which is our, our uh, assuming that the student doesn't value safety. Um, I, I was flying with a guy as I was getting back into it, and we were coming back in from the practice area. 
And we were really working, you know, part of it was really getting my patterns back down and doing some short field landings and so on and so forth. And uh, he said, I'll just go in straight from here. It'll save you some money. Well, I didn't want to go straight in from there. You know, I wanted to, to get in the pattern. I wanted to square it up. I wanted to get my picture back. I hadn't flown in a while. I, I didn't want to go straight in. And I really wasn't interested in saving point 0.1 or 2 or 3 on the Hobbs meter. And um, there's just no need to save money by skipping on safety. It just, it just isn't something that we should do. And I'm a firm believer good students don't want you to do that either. They're not interested in you. They don't want you to waste their money. They don't want you to squander it. They don't want you to, to have them do things they don't need to do. You know, um, I've heard those, you know, I've heard those stories as well, right? I've heard about people that have, you know, at hour 40 and they still haven't, um, they still haven't soloed. And then I fly with them and I go, why haven't you soloed? Well, my instructor said I wasn't ready. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I know what's going on there. But they don't want that. But at the same time, you know what? They, they want to be safe ultimately and they want to do it right. And they want to have that feeling um, that they're accomplishing something and they're doing it right. Here's the bottom line. You're the leader. They'll value what you value. It's no different in any company. I just told this to a company uh, president the other day. If you value that, they'll value that. If you don't value that, they won't value that. Well, the same is true in flight instruction. So, you know, that takes me then to trick number three. And uh, trick three is uh, this one just, just from a pure business standpoint, Ron, this one just makes me cringe. It makes me a little crazy. Um, and I've heard this a thousand times. You know, failure to set the next appointment. It just drives me nuts. Uh, see you next time you book a lesson. Like it's up to them to book the lesson. I get it. We've got, you know, all this online scheduling stuff and they can sign in and they can look at the open airplane and, and I can set my schedule and I'm available and they can sign up with me and they can do I get it and I'm fully in support of those systems. But guess what? When I'm done with you, the last words out of my mouth are let's look at our calendars and book another lesson. I have a very dear friend of mine that started her own salon, and um, she uh, has a rule that no customer leaves that salon until they've at least attempted to book another uh, hair appointment. And her little business does well over a million dollars a year in top line revenue. And she said that was one of the, she's changed a few other things when she bought it, but that was one of the main things that she drives, get the next appointment, build a community, build the trust. Um, it's the last, go ahead. And repeat business. And repeat business, yeah. You know, a friend of mine said to me years ago, he goes, if you don't have repeat business, you're not in business. And I really love that statement, right? Um, the last thing you do after the debrief is get out the calendar, set the next appointment, and sign the homework. Um, yep, homework. I know, I know, I, I know. Yeah, I can see the expression on your face. Homework, are you kidding me? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So, Does that go over it does go over well because I set the expectations with my students. You're going to have some homework. Now, look, I know they're studying. I know they've got whichever, whichever ground school course they're using, you know, if they're, if they're using that, and most of mine happen to be. And I can log into some of those and kind of see where they are in a progression. But I always like to just add a little something on there. So I'll say, hey, in the pilot operating handbook or in the, in the PHAC or in this, you know, our next lesson, we're going to work on this. I want you to read that chapter, or we just finished this. I just want you to read just that chapter. Just read it. Or I'll have a video that I'll want them to go watch. Or I'll tell them, 
I'm going to send you a link to a video. I'd like you to watch it and, and just be prepared to talk about it um, when we get together. In fact, on my flight reviews, I have a thing that I email all the students ahead of time, and there's uh, um, uh, three videos I have to watch, and uh, they cover everything I want to cover in a flight review and then some. And it actually, you know, is part of their ground school piece. They come in prepared. We have a conversation about what did you learn from those videos. Here's some things to think about. And I have hand selected those uh, to make them work just right. So yeah, it's um, it's it's I, I I will even send homework for other instructor students. So if I fly with a student and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be out of town, Ned, could you fly with Bob? And here's where he is. He needs work on this. Absolutely. And I'll fly with that student. I will either get even give them a little homework and then I'll text or send a message to the other instructor and said, hey, I told him to read this or I told him to watch this video. So you might want to talk about it when they come in. But boy, when you leave me, you're getting some sort of homework, something. Well, that's a good that's a good point. And that uh, that puts some responsibility on the student as well to, um, you know, to progress through uh, his or her training. Absolutely. And you'll you'll gauge your uh, the seriousness of your student pretty darn quick. Um, you'll, you'll gauge it pretty darn quick. Uh, there's a, a flight instructor I know that's pretty crusty, and, and in fact, if you're younger and you don't come in with your homework done, it's not a it's not a good start to the lesson. <laughs> He'll tell you about it, and, and I kind of like that. I think it's all right. So yeah. So let's go over to uh, uh, trick number three A, and this is the safety part of this: failure to conduct a thorough brief. Um, hey, great flight! Out the door we go. That that's not a debrief to me. It's not. Um, there's always more that can be taught. Um, we don't have to turn it into an hour or an hour and a half, but I do think we should have a conversation with them and talk about what we just did and where we are and the areas that need improvement, areas they did a good job, things I don't understand. Um, I like to connect uh, some portion of the flight to a safety topic of some de some description, and that's not hard to do if you know your business. It really isn't. It's 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 pretty easy actually. And then all students go home with a safety topic to review or a video to watch. And then um, if you go to the, uh, the next build on that for me, um, I have uh, been falling in love uh, very quickly with uh, Cloud Ahoy. And I'm now using it. And um, it's absolutely a fascinating tool. You know, they just came out with the instructor tools and the assists, and I'm still learning those. So they're brand, brand new. But Boy, are they ever a helpful tool to really have a serious conversation with your student. And the thing I love about it, I can send it to them and they can look at it on their own. And that is now becoming some of the, a, a quick part of their homework. When you get a chance, look this over. This was your flight. Here's where we did stalls. Here's, here's, here's what your, your approach looked like. Here's your traffic pattern. As you can see, the corners weren't rounded off or whatever it is we want to talk about. But yeah. boy, what a what an amazing tool and, and bringing some of that technology in for us. It is indeed an amazing tool, and I've been using it uh, some myself with with students. Um, <clears throat> I'm one that um, I, I like to give some instantaneous feedback to a student uh, just after they've accomplished a maneuver. First, ask them how they thought they did, then give mm -hmm. them my evaluation, and then in the debrief, I kind of summarize that again and drive home the points that I think are the most important for them to take away. And so that's kind of a one-two punch for them and giving them uh, feedback. But it's, it's incredibly important to have a thorough debrief and make sure that the student knows what uh, they could have done better and what they need to work on for the next time, as well as the homework assignment. So I think you yeah, have a great, great approach there, Ned. Yeah, thank you. 
Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I've, I've had uh, other instructors and people say, where, where do you get your videos from? And I'm I'm pretty adamant about where I get them from. I'm um, uh, I I don't just grab something off the internet that I have no idea who they are. Put it up there. I don't know what kind of information they're putting out. Generally, uh, I've been using for for the most part either the videos off of Bold Method or the videos from the AOPA Air Safety Institute. I find are just amazing. Most of the videos that I share are the case study videos. Um, so there's, you know, facts and figures and things that, you know, uh, pilots did and so on and so forth. Um, and that's most of what I pick. And then it drives home a specific conversation. And they're quality, they're well done, and I can really depend on, on the accuracy of the information that's on there. Indeed. And we're never at a shortage for training uh, um, uh, resources like that, videos and, and, and the like. There's just so much available, a plethora of information and videos available to us on the internet. So it's pretty easy to find things that are salient to a particular student. I would agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go on to trick four. This is, uh, this is another one. <laughs> let's, let's early in the conversation tell the student just how expensive this really is. Um, you know, there's not a good salesperson on the planet that will talk about price first. Um, they always talk about the features, the benefits, and whatever it is that they're trying to sell you. And it's this is something that I think that we get to way too quickly in a, in a, in an early discussion with a potential student from a business perspective. Um, this was actually a statement said to me. I walked into another another FBO. I'm interested in taking some flight lessons. Again, didn't know who I was or anything about my background. Uh, he said, "Yeah, we said we do that here, but I got to tell you." is really expensive. Like really? <laughs> and um, so, you know, I let them decide how expensive it really is. Let the student come up with that determination whether it's expensive or not. I don't know what kind of car they drive. I don't know what kind of money they have in the bank. Um, I, I don't understand anything about them. I, I you know, I haven't, I haven't uh, interviewed them yet, so I don't know what they do for a living. And I should have done that right away, right? Um, so, this is a, a quote um, that I'm huge on. Warren Buffett said, price is what you pay, value is what you get. And as far as I'm concerned, um, I'm gonna talk to you about the value of flight instruction. I'm gonna talk to you about the value of the experience. I'm gonna talk to you about the value that we provide from a safety and, a, and an organizational standpoint and, and, and fun and community. And that's a whole nother topic we could talk about, You know, building a community around your flight school, which I've seen some places do extremely well and others don't do well at all. But um, I, it reminds me of a story. My mother, uh, as I said, was in real estate back in the 60s and quite successful. And she had a guy come and he wanted to buy in those days. This would have been about 1968, 69. He was going to buy a house that was probably about $150,000, which in those days was a pretty good chunk of change for a home. And uh, he was a train conductor. And uh, train conductors make pretty good money. And this guy also had some other income. He was also a well-known uh, uh, musician and had, had some successful uh, music go out there. And so he walked into a bank to, to open his account to start his mortgage process. And he was in his train conductor overhauls and he had a beard and a little stocking hat and it was close to closing time. And the lady looked at him and she said, uh, well, you know, in order to open a savings account, it's $25 minimum. And he pulled a $80,000 check out of, his, out of his pocket and said, will that do it? <laughs> and he said, and this guy was quite a character. He said, before you knew it, I had two VPs and coffee and I was sitting in a private room and <laughs> in my train conductor overalls and my beard and, and my stocking hat, you know, and, 
you, you never know who's standing there and let them decide whether it's expensive or not. It's really their decision. It's not mine. You know, it really isn't. Yeah, good, good point, Ned. Uh, let me back up just a moment, if I could, because huh. we got an interesting uh, question from one of our viewers, and we were talking about safety and and shortcuts on safety. An right. interesting question that one could ask is, how much will you save by doing that versus the additional cost of the deductible the next time you uh, get oh, an insurance policy? Yeah, so uh, that, that is. Yeah, thank you. That is an outstanding way to look at it, right? That really is outstanding, and and. Uh, uh, I think that's not only something we should say as business people operating the flight school, but that's something we can teach our students. Uh, many of them go on to own their own airplanes, you know, certainly a lot of us have, and or or they uh, get into a club or they, they, they have some other financial investment in an aircraft. And I think that they should understand that, that the shortcuts are really expensive. And while there's a short-term gain to it of a few dollars here and there, long-term, really doesn't save you a dime. And you're absolutely, I think we can have that conversation. One flight school that I um, am pretty familiar with, they actually do have that conversation about the cost of operations. And, and I do think they do it in a healthy way for people to understand that, you know, it is, it is costly and we try to do things the right way so we don't burn up motors and starters and so on and so forth. And, and they do bring that to light um, and they do it in the right way. But I love that. Yeah, thank you for whoever shared that. That's awesome. It is good. And then uh, that kind of uh, bridges to um, uh, safety, another aspect of safety, and that is uh, sometimes with rental equipment, rental airplanes, not all this stuff works in the panel. And um, I'm sure you've uh, run into that uh, at time, time and time again uh, in flight schools and the like. What do you um, have to say about that, uh, Ned? Yeah, so that really brings me to my next uh, trick, which is trick 4A on, uh, on how we devalue safety. And uh, we devalue safety by these sorts of comments. I, again, this was one that was actually said to me when I was getting back into it, you know. It says, I know the gyro doesn't work, but they're really expensive to replace and, and we'd have to raise the rates. Well, that's great. But, you know, the problem is you're having me do maneuvers and you want me to start in a certain heading and end on a certain heading. And so now we got to figure out how to make that work because the gyro is precessing so quick that you can't keep up with it. And, and you know, it's just, it, you got to be kidding me. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I just say don't cut corners. Just don't. Um, you know, f figure out how to make it work. What's interesting to me, Ron, is uh, because people are so focused on price and not safety, the same places I hear this generally undercharge for their services. So they don't have the money to do it. And they think that they're, they think that they're really doing the right thing. You know, we're going to be $5 cheaper than the, uh, than the FBO down the way or down at the next airport or whatever, you know, whatever it happens to be. And I call that a race to the bottom. And, and we'll both get there pretty quick if we really want to. And the last thing I want to argue with you is over price. Um, I say put the value on safety. It doesn't have to be massively expensive, but um, it's not free either. And um, one of the things that I think is so important is um, uh, if, if I lose a customer for $5 an hour rental, I probably didn't want them anyway. Let them go. It, it's okay. It's okay. Let, let them go. It's not the end of the world. There are other customers out there that will really value the safety we bring. And if we're 5 or 10 or $12 an hour more on the rental rate of the airplane, and we're 5 or 6 or 7 or $10 more on our instructors, and we really work to have a stable uh, a group of instructors, then, then people will ultimately pay for that. Um, and then the other thing, we're sending a message to people and they're asking, what else are you cutting corners on? And, yeah. and, 
And then we lose a customer. We don't even know, don't know why we lost them. You know, so they depend on us to do it right, to do it safe and to show them how to do it. That's what they want from us. And we need to provide that. That is, that is our obligation to the, the flying public that comes to us to do business. So um, is uh, gaining a pilot certificate uh, hard work for a student? <laughs> do we do that or oh, that, Yeah, that brings me to my next one. I, I love this one. So trick number five. Um, yeah, let's tell the customer just how hard it is. I love this one. Um, uh, I, I got this one as well. After the one FBO told me I was too old to be an airline pilot, the other one said, it's really hard for someone at your age. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's got to be a comedy routine. I, I was just, you know, on my business travels, I, I find an airport. I go in and, and just ask the question. Now, I'm a, a mystery shopping everybody out there, just collecting the stories going, oh, my gosh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, uh, the guy actually said it's really difficult. Um, you know, it is. I mean, there is elements of flying that, that does have an element of, of difficulty to it. But guess what? I think that's one of the draws. I think that's one of the reasons people come to us is because it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And they want to be able to say, I'm a pilot, and they should say I'm a pilot, and I'm proud of it, and I've accomplished this. It's not easy, and that's okay. But, you know, I always say that if you've committed trick number one, and if anybody remembers what trick number one was, we didn't interview them, and not learn anything about the customer, you have no idea if it's hard for the customer or not. Uh, if I don't know that you're a PhD or you're a doctor or you've got a, an engineer or you uh, an electrician or a carpenter and you can think and measure and do all those sorts of things and you've learned a skill, uh, look, this is a skill, and if you... Say I've learned a skill. I'm a machinist. Learned, that's hard, man. I I think being a machinist is hard. I pick up a micrometer. I don't even know what to do with it. it you know, it's isn't that thing? Isn't that what you used to crack a nut with? I didn't know you were supposed to measure with them, right? Uh, to me, that's hard. You know, you want to give me something hard, make me read a micrometer. I especially an old one. You know, the digital ones are cheating. But uh, you know, the old ones, like I don't know how to read that. It's one of the I failed it in shop class in junior high, and I said, well, guess what? I'm not going to be a machinist. That's okay. But, you know, I really um, am just, uh, I'm adamant about let them decide if it's expensive and let them decide if it's hard. And the things that are hard, guess what? It's our job to guide them through what is difficult and tell them um, what is difficult and what's not and how to get them through it. And, and that's part of the job that we do. And it's part of the joy for me is, is helping them through the hard parts. So, you know, Ned, um, I think um, <clears throat> the, uh, the acquisition of the technical skills being somewhat more difficult than some of the things we might do, technical skills for flying, can actually be a draw for students. I was, I'm reminded of um, uh, just last week, I visited the Kennedy Space Center near Orlando, and uh, <clears throat> they had a video playing of uh, President Kennedy when he, when he energized the entire nation, when he said, and I quote, we choose to go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And he inspired and excited everybody in the nation, and we all got behind it. And uh, and the really smart people got us to the moon and, and back safely. And so, yeah, it can be hard, but it also that can be a draw for for students as well. And then uh, also, someone mentioned uh, <clears throat> that uh, acquisition of the technical skills are necessary, but then the student also has to have uh, the money to follow through and the time to follow through. And that's something that I think in your interview with the student, you can get you can assess that early on. Are they going to be able to fly once or twice a week, once a month, or twice a 
you know, every once or a quarter or something like that. That will give you an idea of um, how to guide them in their um, in their flight training. Well, absolutely. And, and that's where we can certainly be honest with them and say, okay, you know, if it's once a month, that's all you can afford. That's fine. But just understand it's going to take you a lot longer. And I'm here for you. I'll fly with you once a month. But just understand we're going to be going. And we tell that everybody on this webinar would know what that story sounds like. And we just tell them to them. And, and you know what? It's something intuitively they understand. And we just have to be very upfront and honest about it. And just tell them. And if they still want to do that, my job here is to service you and you're getting enjoyment out of it and you're getting something out of it and you're understanding you're not moving as fast as Bob over here is flying three times a week. That's fine. That's fine. We, we need to tell them and be honest. That's the ethical uh, code that we have to have. But yeah, if that's what they can do. That's what they can do. So we, we guide them through the difficulties rather than just tell them about all the difficulties. Absolutely. It's really ours to guide, which then brings me to trick number six. And and trick number, number six is the arrogance and I overheard this uh, this comment made uh, about a month ago, or maybe it was, well, it was actually back around June, I think. Um, uh, this young kid was taking some flight instruction and I was finishing up with my student and I heard him say, so so, so, do you have to log, blah, blah, blah. He was just asking a, a, a regulation question on what you have to log. And, 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 and here's what the instructor said. He said, I stopped logging flight time at 15,000 hours. It was just pain in the neck to keep up with all that FAA stuff. Now I've cleaned up uh, the word stuff for this presentation because that's not what that's not the word he used, which which I have my own issue with. But but um, you know uh, it drives me a little crazy. And you know I, I said to myself, um, if you think the regulations are crap, what do you expect the students to think? I mean, if if they think it's a joke, if you think it's a joke, they're going to think it's a joke, and and that. Again, we go back to the safety piece. Your arrogance is is connecting to the safety. It's connecting to everything else, and and we just don't have uh, we we just don't have uh, a place for it. Now, I do believe that um, your credentials are important. Bragging about them is not. I had a, a discovery flight that somebody had bought a young 13 year old young man or a 14 year old young man, and uh, he came in and and his uncle had bought it and his mom. Well, they all walked in, and, and I, could, I took one look at his mom, and, and she was a nervous wreck. She was a wreck. It was so cute. I mean, she was a wreck. And I, so I, I put all my effort on her. I said, hi, mom. How are you? And she said, I, I'm not doing well. I said, I can see that. I said, why don't we sit down and have a conversation, what I'm about to do with your 14-year-old. She said, that would make me feel good. So, you know, I felt at that point my background was incredibly important. Um, I told her, I said, you know, this is what I've done, so many hours I have, these are the aircraft I've flown, I've not been anything yet, I have no intention of starting with your son. I then pulled up for flight, and I showed her where we were, I said, we're going to fly this route on this discovery flight, we're going to come back. I said, in fact, here's a handheld radio, here's the end number, you can listen to us, talk to the tower. And, and her sister was there, and she said, um, is she allowed to give instructions over that? I said, no, you can't pick it up, you're not allowed to touch it, you know. <coughs> It, it, we had a, by the time I took him out to the airplane, she was laughing. She was still a nervous wreck, but we, we had gotten her there. So there is a time and place for our credentials to be shared with people. They do want to know, but not in an arrogant or a brag, braggadocious sort of way. Very good. I, uh, I had an experience a few months ago where a young man was about to take uh, flying lessons, begin his flying lessons, and uh, his mom and dad were both a little bit concerned. So. Uh, one of the things I did is I took his parents for a ride in, in uh, our bonanza, and uh, that really calmed their fears. They uh, had a much better understanding of what their what their son would do in his early uh, piloting uh, pilot training, and um, 
they felt felt a whole lot more comfortable about. It. They're still nervous as they, sure. as you about a child. Oh, sure. So let's move on to trick number seven. Um, and this is the other one that I, I always get a big kick out of, and that's the hero stories. Um, you know, I actually have two, two quotes on this. One I learned early in my uh, career as an Army aviator. I was still not an aircraft commander yet. I was still a fledgling little co-pilot and right out of flight school and in my first duty assignment. And and we had a new senior pilot come into the unit and we were out flying and and he said to me, he goes, uh, let me show you how we flew in uh, in Honduras. I said, oh, sure. And he proceeded to just about turn me inside out. And I, I swore up and down right then that the next time someone says, let me show you, I say, stop everything you're doing. You're going to walk me through what you're about to show me. And we're both going to understand it ahead of time. And that was a hero move on his part. He wanted to show me just how good of a pilot he was. And, of course, you know, I, I didn't really care. Um, and then uh, I, I've heard this one, you know, the last time I did this maneuver, the students screwed it up, and thankfully I saved this boat. Well, well, we'll be good for you. That's awesome. That's kind of your job. You're the CFI. Um, uh, why are you telling this to another young student? Uh, now they're terrified of the maneuver. They think something's wrong with it. Maybe there's nothing wrong with the maneuver at all. In fact, there's nothing wrong with any maneuver. Some can be a little bit more challenging than others, but, but, but that that the hero piece just drives me absolutely bonkers. And I say, unless the story has some teaching relevance, just shut up and fly. But um, Ned, is there a time when stories can have a positive impact on the teaching process? Absolutely. You know, I think anytime we can turn it into a case study, anytime we can turn it into, uh, I, I'll give you a great example, Ron. I tell this story to anytime I teach night flying to any of my students and when I was a flight instructor down at Fort Rucker, it was um, a beautiful night. We were in night instruction and coming back into Low Army Airfield. Some people may know that place down there. And, and uh, it, you could see for miles. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we were IMC in some sort of a, a convective segment uh, or a convective activity. And we popped out um, literally seconds later at about 90 degrees off our heading and about 1,500 feet lower. Um, and it was absolutely fascinating because it wasn't on radar. Nobody saw it. It was a clear night. Nobody had said anything. We'd been out flying for four hours. It was one o'clock in the morning. And I, um, I tell that story. I said, yeah, I don't know to this day quite how that happened. Um, we got out of it. This is kind of how we got out of it. And I use that as a case study to, to you know, this is, this is what I do now. You know, I was a young instructor in those days and something got past me clearly or I wouldn't have let it happen, right? And so I think that sometimes those stories are very valuable, but um, they sh we shouldn't make a hero story out of it. We, we need to make it a mini case study and say, don't let this happen to you. Kind of like Never Again that's been in what, Flying Magazine or AOPA or one of those magazines forever and a day. And, and uh, in the Army, we, we would write stories and share them. And, and so I, I believe in, in those as has huge value, but not as a hero, but as a learning tool. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Um, Ned, um, so far you've uh, given us a number of great points on how to build a, a culture of safety and a customer um, uh, importance in, in the business that we do. But let's say we've got a, a flight instructor working for a flight training academy that has these values and, and has accepted this culture, but is not supported by his or her uh, supervisors in the, in the flight school. What's what's a person to do? Find another job or try and change the, the culture in there? Or what, what would you say? You know, it's interesting, Ron. I, um, 
amazed that you brought that up. I just had a guy text me the other day, a younger fella that I know, and and he uh, texted me. He said, "Hey," he said, um, "You know where I might uh, find a new home?" And I said, "Well, you know, I can point you in a couple directions. There's some nice little flight schools around here that that have nice airplanes. They keep them up, and they're busy, and they're looking for instructors. And and I think you would fit well. Why?" <laughs> and he. He started to tell me some stories and he said, I don't quite know what to do. And this is a young guy, young guy, he's young, young, young. And I said, uh, well, I'll tell you something. I said, you need to get out of there just about as fast as you can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ron, I tell my, my corporate clients one-on-one uh, -on -one that if, when our values and the place we're working don't align, we're usually not happy. We're usually not at our best. Um, we usually don't perform as well as we'd like to perform and we need to leave. And, and that can be hard for a young guy. You, you and I don't care. We got enough gray hair. We're not trying to build time anymore. We're not going on to the next. So it's easy for us to get up and walk out. And I understand how that can be hard for somebody else. But, you know, go out and find another place. Go out into your network and see where you could be a little happier, a little safer. Uh, have those values and, and find there. Somebody will. Somebody's out there for you. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, that, that aside. I think that was important to, um, to bring that point up. Um, so now the, I think we're, uh, through seven tricks now. Was there, was there an eighth one? I can't recall. There's an eighth trick. And this one, uh, this one goes back to a little bit about what I talked about earlier, uh, when I talked about the household I was raised up in. Um, here's one that I love. Don't return phone calls or emails. And I actually had a, a flight school say this to me. I had emailed them. I called, left messages. Nobody called me back. I sent emails. Nobody called me back. Um, yeah, we're really bad at returning phone calls and emails. We don't use them. Um, first, hello, it's 2019. Just thought I might point that out, not 1819. And second, that's just flat rude. I, I, I'm sorry, I can't say it any nicer. That's just rude. Um, look, there's a couple things I know for sure. I had a fella that's a client and his nephew was getting into the um, home repair business with his own pickup. He's been working for a contractor for a while. He wants to do his own thing. And he wanted me to, to sit with him and kind of tell him, you know, how to be successful in his business. And I think he was looking for things like margins and how to price your stuff and everything else. Here's what I told him, Ron, right out of the gate. I said, look, I said, oh, let me tell you a couple of quick little things. If you do, I, I'm assuming you can stall a door and a window and, and repair whatever, or you wouldn't be getting in the business. So let's just, for, I'm just going to assume that you've got that skill and you're good at it. And he said, well, I am. And I said, okay. I said, here, here's what I'll tell you. You want to be successful? A, return phone calls and return them quickly. B, keep the promises you make. And see if you can't keep the promise, call them and tell them. And you'll be so busy, you won't know what to do with all the work. I just hired a guy to take down a 120-foot oak tree. He was the fourth guy I called, the first one to call back. Wow. He called me back within two hours, said, I just got down off a tree. Sorry, I didn't call you earlier. What can I help you with? I told him what I had. He said, take some pictures and snap them over to me, would you? I said, absolutely. Took some pictures, sent them over. He sent me a text back right away. He goes, it's really going to be hard for me to quote it off these pictures. Holy crap, I didn't expect you to quote it off the pictures. I'm like really <laughs> impressed now. I texted yeah. back. I said, I said, well, now you've got a picture where it is and which tree. Come by the house. And, and he goes, I don't need to be there. I'll come. He said, I'll be there Thursday at 10 in the morning. At 10.15, I get a text from him. I'll be sending you a, a quote later on today. Guess wow. who got the business, Ron? He got it. Yep, indeed. So we can actually leverage technology to our advantage as, as flight schools. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, it, it just it just it's just amazing. So 
you know, responsiveness is the key to success as far as I'm concerned. So we've been through eight tricks. I've got a, I've got a bonus one here I'd like to share with you, and then we'll wrap up. We're coming up to the top of the hour. For crying out loud, have a website that's, that, it, that, that does not work or is out of date. That's awesome. Um, I just had this. Uh, in fact, the same guy that said they don't do emails or phone calls said this to me about his website. He goes, we got rid of that aircraft years ago. Who told we had that? I said, um, I looked at your website. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my first rule about a website, it should be clean and crisp. My second rule is you should have current prices on there. Now, this can be a little bit um, of a touching point. People say, well, I don't want my prices out there. In our business, our prices are out there. Just put them on a website and be done with it. It's not like I can't pick up the phone and call you. Well, maybe him, I can't, but some, you know, or I can walk in. I mean, everybody knows everybody's prices. It's not like it's secret. Um, I, I want you to have contact information on every single page. Every last page should have your phone number and your email address, and, and it make it easy for me to find. And then but last but not least, just some basic information. You know, what you offer, you know, the, the airplanes you have, and then and then build in a sense of community with it. Now you can do that on the website, you can do it on a Facebook page, but have a sense of community. Have a picture of people getting their license, people doing their solos, people being proud. Uh, the cookout that you have once a month or once a quarter, where everybody gets together and they, they you cook them some burgers or something. Build some sort of sense of community. Um, it, it, it's just really critical. And it doesn't have to be that expensive uh, for a website, I imagine, does it? You know, for the kind of websites that most flight schools need, they can be what we call a, a digital static brochure. So, no, that doesn't have to be expensive. You've got WordPress, you've got Wix, you've got these that are either very, very low cost or, or all, almost free. Now I want to move on to my lightning round of just a couple things I just want to get out there. Um, and these are terms that I'm bringing over to the aviation that we use frequently in different areas of, of the business world. Learn to see your business through the eyes of the customer. I call it the EOC. What do they see when they walk in? So I'll give you an example. I walked in an FBO, and I'm not kidding you. There was a trade of plane on the table from 1989. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first thing I saw laying on the table, a 1989 trade of plane. Um, learn to hear your business through the ears of the customer. It's another EOC. And then uh, what we commonly call the voice of the customer, what's the feedback that we get from our customer? Um, what value do they have for us? What value will they pay for? What will they pay for you is what you can charge. If they see value in it, they'll pay it. You can charge for it. You don't have to get it, give it away. And then let's move to the next slide and talk a little bit about adding value. Um, I talked a little bit about uh, Cloud Ahoy and how I'm using that uh, increasingly. And I'm it's so brand new, I'm still learning it. But there's a screenshot I have on there of ForeFlight and a little flight. When I do discovery flights, I take a snapshot, a screenshot right off my iPad, and I email it as a memento right there on the spot to the person that took the flight. And then in, in the email, I say, glad to have you today. If you, you know, want to come back and learn how to fly, take some lessons, you've got all the rest of our information, please call me. So neither one of these cost me, I mean, I'm paying for the subscription, but to give it to them, it, it, there's no extra charge for that. So that's what I have. We're at the top of the hour, and I, you know, I try to honor people's time, Ron, so I'll I'll turn it back over to you to kind of close it up for our listeners. Very good. Well, Ned, thank you so much. You've given us some great points on uh, how to build a culture of uh, customer satisfaction and, and uh, safety in a flight school. <clears throat> and if um, we're working somewhere and we don't find that um, our values align with the values of the, of the flight school, maybe it is time to search for another job if we can't uh, change the culture and the, 
and the sense of value. So great points that uh, all of us can learn from um, Ned, and I thank you very much for your uh, presentation. So on the screen now, um, we see um, uh, your name and your email address, phone number and the like. Uh, Ed is from Central Ohio in the Akron area and a very successful businessman. He even has a book that's available and that uh, you can find on, is there a website uh, that you have, Ned? I don't see that on the, yeah, on the slide. My, my email uh, has our is our website, A360C, and we've got a page for the book and people can email me. And the book is on Amazon. If they put my name in Amazon, they'll find it. So, Very good. And then I like that final quote, uh, repeating again what uh, the quote you had from Warren Buffett, price is what you pay, but value is what you get. And that's... Good words to live by and, uh, and to build our flight schools and our businesses from that. So that's great. That's great. John Niehaus again, and I'd just like to thank you for joining us for this episode of the More Right Rudder podcast. Um, if you like what you listen to, there's so much more available. Um, you can go on our YouTube page, and you can even actually watch the presentation that you just listened to if there's uh, things in there that you'd actually like to see. Um, and uh, so you can go and, and watch that. You can see a whole bunch of other cool stuff. You can also follow us on all of our social media platforms or whatever you would choose, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and if you could, either subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, of course, and uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a good rating, five stars preferably, uh, that would really help us out in uh, getting some more content out to you, more valuable content out to you. I hope you find it valuable anyways. Um, and we'd love to have you as a member. Remember, you don't have to be a flight instructor to join, although certainly um, I'm sure that makes it a little bit more beneficial to you. But uh, either way, if you have a thirst for knowledge, if you're interested in being a member, all you got to do is go to www.naffynet.org. Thank you so much. And remember, have that right rudder. <laughs>